good to be with all of you on this family service Sunday. Kids, if you're here in the room and you're listening, uh, it's just good to have you. We think it's really of great benefit for you, especially you kids, to be with all of us, worshiping with all of us, being yourself, um, trying to sit still sometimes, trying to listen, trying to learn some things, watching mom and dad and other people worship and joining in as a part of the family. We're just, we, this church should look like family. And so um, we're really thankful that you're here in the room with us this morning. Um, we are finishing up this, this, this morning with our final sermon in our, what we've called the Women of the Bible, where we've looked at a couple of women who you're probably familiar with, which uh, were Ruth and Esther, and then a couple of women that you're maybe less familiar with, which are Rahab we began with, and now Lydia this week. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 16, especially because we had a whole host of technical difficulties this morning, um, which prevented us from being able to have a bunch of slides up here. So if you want to see uh, the scripture in front of you, and you should want to see the scriptures in front of you, um, then I encourage you to open the Bible in front of you to Acts chapter 16. That's where we will be together this morning. All right, let me begin um, by just reading Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. This text will frame our time together this morning. This is what we're going to hear from God's word out of. It's Acts chapter 16, 11 through 15. If you've got it, say got it. Got it. Thank you. All right, here we go. Acts 16, 11 through 15. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 11. So... Setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This morning, we're going to take a look at the first Christian convert in all of Europe. All of Europe. The very first person who we know came to the Lord. The first convert in all of Europe who would become sort of the, 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 just the, first, the, the leader of the European Christians is a woman from Asia. Not just any woman from Asia, a businesswoman who encounters Jesus and the result of her encountering Jesus is her change of life and the impact it has on those who are in her household. She comes to faith, so too 
do those in her household come to faith? This is our last week on women, and we've looked at some incredible women of the Bible. Because we believe as a church, as the Bible teaches, men and women both need a savior. The first person to proclaim Christ was risen was a woman. And when you follow the, the city of uh, Theatira in the Bible, and you get back to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, you hear about Theatira as establishing a church. And many people believe that this church is established by Lydia upon her return home. And that's because women who know the goodness of God should proclaim the goodness of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's the same thing with men, because as is the case with men, um, women can use their lives for good or for evil. In the book of Revelation, at, at Theatira, we see um, that the, the church is also inflicted by uh, in damage from another woman whose name is Jezebel. So when you think Theatira... You should think Lydia of Theatira, whose life changes by Christ, and Jezebel in Theatira, who seduces men away from the truth. It's this picture of this godly woman and this ungodly woman and this recognition that we need faithful Christian men and we definitely need faithful Christian women. Lydia influences her household. And as you're reading this text, it just struck me, it's Mother's Day, that we ought to remind one another that the gospel is to influence our homes. Amen. We are to pray with, to disciple, and to care for our children. Those of us who are mothers and fathers in this room bear a unique responsibility to our children. But when we do baby dedications, we proclaim as a church that even if you are not a father, you are called to be a kind of spiritual father to others who are in the faith in the church. Even if you are not a mother, you are called to be a kind of spiritual mother to those who are in the church. But in the home, as Martin Luther once said, the mother and father are apostles, bishops, and priests to their children. For it is they who make them acquainted with the gospel. Every house should be a house of God. Every house should function kind of like a little church. Right? So every house should have a godly husband and a godly mother. And, and, and if, the God, if the husband is not godly, then the mother should be godly. And, the, and she should pray together and lead her children in Scripture together, worshiping together. Because the family is one of the bedrocks of our society. And when family faith goes down, so does the nation. Uh, just a little aside on this. This is an illustration that we talk about and I, I, um, that I, I saw live, where I didn't see it live, but I, it happened live one time, um, where a, uh, I saw a pastor who brought out a shopping cart filled with about 40 tennis balls. So the 40 tennis balls in a shopping cart is like a, barely a single layer of tennis balls. And uh, the pastor was saying, these tennis balls, they symbolize an hour we will spend this year as a church on Sundays with your child. And then the pastor brought out another shopping cart with 3,000 tennis balls 
filled with tennis balls. And the pastor said, this shopping cart with tennis balls, it symbolizes, every tennis ball symbolizes an hour that you will spend with your children this year. And he said, the great failure of the church, and I wholeheartedly agree, is that we spend all our time and energy thinking about how do we maximize the 42 tennis balls. Whereas we as a church believe that the heart of Christian faith is, is yes, good to that, but really, what are we going to do about the 3,000 tennis balls? We bear a responsibility in the church to maximize discipling, shaping, caring for, praying for, teaching our children, not just outsourcing that to 42 tennis balls on Sundays. Amen? Amen. So important that we do that. We should all seek our family's conversion as Lydia does. And so moms, if you're here this morning, I know that you are praying for your children. Pray for your children. Be a godly example. Show them and teach them the way of Christ. But this morning we are in Acts and we're going to spend some time with Lydia in Acts 16, 11 through 15. And so if you're taking notes, here's the four points I want to make this morning. We're going to talk first about the providence of God. The providence of God. Secondly, we're going to talk about the piety of Lydia. The piety of Lydia. And when your kids, when you get in the car, ask your mom and dad, what does piety mean? What does providence mean? Uh, thirdly, we'll talk about the passion of Paul. The passion of Paul. And fourth, the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are all P words for your benefit. The providence of God, the piety of Lydia, the passion of Paul, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll begin with the providence of God. The Bible teaches us that all things are working towards the good of those who loved him and who are called according to his purpose. All things. Some things, no. All things are working towards the good. The providence of God is remarkable. We've seen this in our last four weeks. It's unavoidable in this text as well. Um, do you remember Rahab four weeks ago um, when the spies just happened to meet Rahab? Uh, a woman in Jericho who believed in, uh, in the Lord. Like, it was amazing, right? That just happened. Then you get to Ruth, who just so happened to bump into Boaz, gleaning his fields and discovering that he's the kinsman redeemer. And then, and then last week, Esther, who just so happens to win this beauty contest and become the queen of Persia, even though she's Jewish, right? And this week, it just so happens that Paul bumps into a woman from Asia. Um, all four weeks, it's very clear that even though they are each experiencing their lives in the ordinary um, orchestration of events, the reality is God's hand is upon them the whole time. Here's why this is important. Because, um, because Lydia is in Philippi when she meets Paul. And what you should know is that Lydia is not from Philippi. And Paul doesn't want to be in Philippi. If you look above in your Bible in Acts, chapter six, Acts 16, verse 6, you'll discover that um, they want to go to Asia, but God keeps them, prevents them from going to Asia. The text says that the Holy Spirit forbid them to go to Asia. So Paul, at this point in his missionary journey, wants to go to Asia and can't do that. And so, in Acts 16, verses 7 through 10, um, Paul gets a vision in the middle of the night. And the vision is of a man in Macedonia who is urging Paul, come to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul sees the vision, immediately they decide they're going to go to Macedonia because they believe that God had called them to preach the gospel to those who are in Macedonia. So Paul wants to go to Asia, can't go to Asia. 
gets a vision of a man in Macedonia and says, okay, it seems like we got to go to Macedonia. They're heading to Macedonia. Paul's expectation is that he's going to meet a man in Macedonia, which is like in Europe. At the same time, there's a woman whose name is Lydia. And Lydia is also brought into Macedonia, into Philippi, and her journey is also different. Lydia is from Theatira, a city that is known for taking these, um, these sea creatures and then extracting this dye from them and using it to stain and dye these purple cloths that would last a lifetime and were desired by royalty. So Lydia is this sort of businesswoman. She's got a business. And um, we don't know much about whether or not she was a widow or not. She may have been a widow. She may um, not have had a husband at all, ever. We, we don't know any of that. But we know that Lydia is a businesswoman. And we know that she's got some servants. And she leaves her hometown of Theatira and heads to Philippi because that's where the money is to be made. So you can imagine, in order for her to get there, she has to cross the sea. So Lydia, imagine Lydia as this businesswoman, and she's got her servants, and they're collecting all of the, the, the things they need to sell. And she's like, listen, we're going to get on this boat. We're going to go across the sea. We're going to sell these purple um, uh, goods. And as she, as she travels across to sell this purple cloth, she comes to this place to encounter Paul. Now, at this point, both of them had been unaware that God had been leading them. But God has something for her in this encounter with Paul. When she picked up and left her hometown, she did not expect to meet Jesus. When Paul leaves to go to Macedonia, he's expecting to meet a man, not a woman at all. They find themselves together because God has something for them. Paul is going to share Jesus to this group of women, and they did not know what God was about to do in their lives, but God did the whole time. God knew the beginning and the end, and God once again, as God often does, acts to meet her deepest needs. This woman who's from Asia is in Philippi, and Paul had a door closed to Asia. And who does he meet in Philippi? A woman from Asia. Our plans are so different than God's plans. We don't often know why we are in the moments that we are in. But we can almost always say that the reason we're in the place we're in is because God has brought us. Let me ask you, why are you in Los Angeles? Most of you aren't from Los Angeles. Why'd you come here? Why'd you come to LA? Some of you came to get famous. Some of you came to, to make it in the industry. Some of you came for the weather, because wherever you left had terrible weather. And so you came here to Los Angeles. Some of you left your countries, right? Um, and you came here to Los Angeles. What brought you to L.A.? What brought you here this morning? Why are you sitting in the chair you're sitting in this morning? Why are you in this room listening to this message about this woman? Well, wh why is that happening? Is it possible that you're here this morning because God wants to speak something to you? There are better preachers in uh, Los Angeles than me. 
And there are certainly better church buildings to meet in than this one. <laughs> but you're here this morning. And if God meets you this morning, and God draws you to himself, and God speaks into your life, and God transforms you this morning, I believe that you will say that you are in the right place at the right time. Because God works everything. Everything. Some of you don't know this. I am standing right here right now because of a seatbelt ticket. So you don't know that. I'll be real brief. I was working in Northern California. I visited Santa Barbara. And as I was visiting Santa Barbara, I was driving a buddy's car. And I was driving a buddy's car in Santa Barbara. And I got pulled over because the guy who owned the car, he was sitting next to me. He didn't have his seatbelt on. And he didn't have his seatbelt on. And because he didn't have his seatbelt on, the officer said to me, hey, uh, you get a ticket. And I was like, oh, no, you're, uh, you've misunderstood. This is not my car. It's his car, and I have my seatbelt on. He said, no, you're the driver. You uh, get a seatbelt ticket. So I got a seatbelt ticket. Long story short, yada, yada, yada. It led to a warrant for my arrest, which ended me up at a Santa Barbara courthouse. Some of you heard this story before. And as I was at the Santa Barbara courthouse, I was like, that's not too far from this little church in Santa Monica I should swing by. And I, I stopped by, and I met with some people, and I was excited, and I took a job, and I moved to Southern California, and one thing led to another, here I am standing before you. <laughs> Look, I don't get that seatbelt, that ticket. You don't know who I am. <laughs> the, the point is that God works even the small things. God is working. His provident hand is working. Providence just means God's provision. God is working. In 1950s, Ray Bradbury wrote a short story called The Sound of Thunder. Any of you read The Sound of Thunder, short story by Ray Bradbury? Okay, it's a wonderful, real short story where he talks about a a group of people traveling back in time. And they get back in time, um, and they're told very specific rules. Don't mess anything up, because even the smallest thing will change everything, even the election that you're in. So they travel back in time, and then the, the, the main character of the story comes back into the present moment. Everything is different. And he can't figure out why. And he looks under his boot, and it's a dead butterfly. And, and the idea is that the killing of that butterfly changed the entire world. It's kind of where we get the idea of the butterfly effect from. But the notion is that like, we live in a world that's not chaotic. We live in a world that's controlled and orchestrated by God. Yes, it feels like chaos at times. I know that your lives feel chaotic sometimes. But do you really want everything to be up to chance? Do you really want the God of the universe? Is your impression that God, that you would stand before God and God's like, I don't know what I'm doing. A God like that isn't worthy of worship. God works everything for the good. And so God orchestrates this meeting between Paul and Lydia perfectly. The providence of God. Secondly, the piety of Lydia. God is going to transform Lydia's life. Now, God doesn't transform anyone's life against their will. God doesn't drag anyone to heaven. But God does make us willing. And so here is Lydia. And I don't know if you picked up on this. Lydia isn't from Philippi. She's on a business trip. What day is it? It's the Sabbath. Where is Lydia? She is worshiping. Lydia is worshiping on the Sabbath on a business trip. Now, I know that you can see some implications in your life for this one. (laughs) Think about this for a second. I know some of us like to go on vacation. 
I get concerned that sometimes when we go on vacation, we also take a vacation from God. I'm concerned that some of us, when we leave areas in which we associate with God, we leave those places and we kind of think we're going to leave God behind with us, with us, right? I know that when you travel, some of you, I've heard you say things like, I'm on vacation. I'm not like, I don't have time for, for prayer. I'm on vacation. And I'm like, I'm as a pastor, like my brain is scrambled going like, wait, hold on. You're, you're trying to articulate to me that like when you go on vacation, like you need a break with the Lord too. I don't, like, I don't understand it, right? Lydia, this is beautiful. She's on a business trip. She's traveling. And what does she do? She obeys God on the Sabbath. She looks for God's people gathered together in prayer. And she brings her kind of team with her, her household with her. She wanted on the Sabbath to be with God's people, to be where they were. So she went to where God's people were. We're gathering. She didn't, she didn't divide her life into, when I'm at home in Theatira, that's when I'm with my neighbors, and that's when I'm Christian, and then when I travel, I sort of leave all that behind. I think, well, I don't know who famously said, but you all know the old phrase about like, character is who you are when nobody's looking. Is your, is your faith the same when you're at work, when you're at home? Is your faith the same on Sunday and on Monday? Is your faith the same in your 9 to 5 and on vacation? Is your faith the same? It ought to be. It ought to be. Lydia encounters God. Why? Because on a business trip, she decided to go where God's people were on the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. That's where she's going to be. So that's where she shows up. She finds a place where she can worship God in spirit and in truth. Look, you can't save yourself. You can't open your own heart. You can't sanctify yourself. But you can be in the presence of God with God's people on God's day. And then she encounters Paul and when he speaks, she listens. So thirdly, the passion of Paul. Paul, as you know, he lives like the conversion of others is the most important thing in his life. Right? It, it, he knows he can't convert anybody, but he's so strategic. When Paul gets to Macedonia, where does he go? He doesn't just go to the street corner and hold up a giant sign and start yelling at people as they're shopping and whatnot. That's not Paul's strategy. What Paul does is he goes to places where people are searching after God. He goes to places where this gathering of women has come together to worship the Lord on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath. Jesus teaches us that we are to not only seek and desire that people in our lives would come to faith, but we are to be strategic about it. In Matthew 10, Jesus when he sends the disciples out two by two, he says, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, Jesus said, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. 
Paul doesn't get to this riverbank and just start preaching at people. No, in fact, he just talks with them. He talks with these women who are there because maybe Paul knows not everybody in your life wants to be preached at all the time. Anybody have anybody in their life who's like, I just don't want to be preached at? I know I do. I'm a preacher. And when they say that, it stings a bit. But I get what they mean, which is like, no, I don't, I don't want you to be sermoning me the whole time or just trying to convince me the whole time. Sometimes what I'm looking for is just for you to talk about who you are and what's important in your life. And if Jesus is important in your life, then you, as you talk about your life, are bound to talk about Jesus. As you talk about the day-to-day of your life, it should be normative for you if you are a Christian to be talking about that through the lens of Christ. Christ is Paul's favorite subject. And like, of course he is. Paul had met Jesus. Jesus had changed his heart. Jesus had rescued him and saved him. The same one who bled on the cross, right, died, buried, and was rose again to bring people to God. That same Jesus who is alive and is interceding for us has transformed some of your lives. And I can't imagine how you could move forward in life knowing that and not incorporate Christ in how you see and do and think about everything. Amen? You track with what I'm saying? Like, my point here is, you don't need to preach at everybody. Some of you think your options are like, I got to say nothing or I got to convert them. First of all, you don't do that. We'll get there in a second. But your options are not say nothing or convert them. Just be Christian to the people God has called you to be Christian to. Love them well and tell them why you love them well. Because you have been loved well by the God who is resurrected. All right. Paul talks about Jesus, and whatever Paul says, it just hits Lydia right in the heart. And this is my fourth point the power of the Holy Spirit. See, God has brought Lydia and Paul together. And Lydia is faithful, right? She's observing the Sabbath, she's gone to worship, and Paul is there to share Jesus. He's, he's gone to offer hope to the hopeless. Paul is here to say you can have peace. If you have no peace in your life with God, you can have peace in your life with God. Paul is going to offer peace to those who are troubled. Some of you are troubled this morning. Peace with God is available to you. But none of this matters. What Paul's going to do and Lydia is going to do, none of that matters if God is not there. But God is there. And in verse 14b, what does it say? It says that, it says that God opens her heart. God opens Lydia's heart. God made her heart. He knows what her heart is searching for. He knows what her heart needs. He is the lock maker. He has the key. God made your heart and he knows how to open your heart. And I don't know what Paul said that got her. I don't know what he said. Maybe she was concerned about the price of purple. Maybe she was concerned about her business. Maybe she was concerned about her finances. Maybe she was concerned about her health or her career. Maybe she was concerned about her family. Maybe the reason she was doing this is because her husband was 
sick or maybe he had died and, and, the, and the kids were distraught. I don't know her situation, but maybe she was concerned about her family. Maybe she was concerned. Maybe she had children. Maybe she was concerned about her, her children. Maybe Lydia had some broken relationships that she was mourning and just couldn't get over and couldn't figure out how to fix. And, and I don't know. And I don't know how God opens your heart to drop his seed in, his word in. But I know he did it to Lydia's heart. And her heart was opened. And as she opened, right, it was opened up by God because she was paying attention to what it is that God was saying. Look, when we, um, we show up every week, I think sometimes we miss the beauty Every week, I, and you know, it happens to me too, so I'm preaching to myself here. Please don't just hear it. This is pointed to you. You ever find yourself singing a song on Sunday, and you're, you're singing it for the 50th time, and you go, oh, that's what that means. And you're like, what was happening the first 49 times that I just wasn't hearing it, right? Like, the, it caught me off guard. It caught me anew. I was paying attention in a different kind of way. Charles Spurgeon said that people sometimes listen to sermons with two ears. And what he meant by that is he said that some people, when they listen to sermons, uh, the, the, the preaching, the God's word goes in one ear, out the other, and then into like their neighbor. Like they think like, oh, that's a good word. That's for you. And they like need, they're like, some of you maybe already like elbowed your husband or your wife or a friend sitting next to you or your kids going like, hey, that's for you. You need to listen to that, right? Like, like we listen with both ears. And Spurgeon once said, he said, he said to his congregation one time, I wish you had one ear. I wish you had only one ear so it would go in and the truth would get stuck in you. Dude, some of us can listen to a three-hour podcast. Some of us listen to an entire audio book on a road trip. But if, if a sermon is like a minute too long, it's torture. <laughs> we forget that this, like this is God's word for us. That's the goal of what we're doing together. To hear from God, not to hear from me. So she listened, she's paying attention, she's obviously desiring what it is that Paul is saying, right? Like there's something about that she's listening, she's going, yeah, like she's paying attention, she's desiring what he's saying. Have you ever cooked a meal for someone who's just so excited to eat that meal? Think about this, have you ever, you ever cooked some food for maybe you've got, a, you've got someone in your life who just, they're craving that meal that you make, or, or they just, they're, and you're, you get to cook that meal and give it to them, and they're like, oh, this is such a great meal. Isn't it a great joy when you cook a meal for someone who just can't wait to eat the food? Yeah? Um, that's what it's like to write a sermon to a congregation that wants to hear a sermon. Do you hear the analogy? I hope you hold on to this, right? Right? Because sometimes writing sermons for, for a congregation that's like, ah, it's like, it's like making a great meal and giving it to your five-year-old who's just like, oh, do we have chicken nuggets? Like, I came for chicken nuggets. And you're like, this is so much better. I've been working so hard on this. Um, that's what it's like. Like, like I'm, I'm, do you pay attention on, when, we're, when we're gathered together? Do you desire to hear from God when we gather? Do you desire to hear God's word? Right? Again, I'm just going to quote Spurgeon here because this is just too good not to. Um, Spurgeon son said, it's hard to preach the ABCs to people who are D-E-F. <laughs> not great. It's not a great analogy for spelling kids, but you get the point. God loves it when his people are desiring to hear from him. 
God loves it. And she desires to hear from God. And then she understands, Lydia understands what is being said. She accepted it. She heard it. She believed it. She heard Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And she heard that whoever, whoever believes in Jesus and trusts in him would be saved and forgiven and made right with God. And she did that. She did that that morning. And you can too this morning. If you would just turn from your sins and stop running from God and instead turn to God and receive Christ, you can be saved and forgiven right now in this room. She understood and then she listened and she obeyed. Lydia accepted the word. She got baptized. I'm sure that Paul was like, if you believe this, you got to get baptized. And I'm sure that Lydia said like, okay, uh, why do I have to get baptized? Like, what, what's that all about? And I'm sure that Paul said, like, Christ commands you. If you believe in him, you have to get baptized. He commands us to be baptized. All who call him Lord are commanded to get baptized to show the world that we are Christians. We're with Jesus, he died, he was buried, he rose again, so I'm going to get into that water, I'm going to die in that water, and rise to new life, proclaiming to the whole world that Jesus is my Savior. And at some point, Lydia said, let's do it, right here, let's make it happen. Me, and she looked around to her, like, to her, her servants, right, her, her workers, and she was like, what do you guys think? They're like, we're in, let's all do it together. She was not ashamed to confess Christ, she was enthusiastic to do so. And then, the, and, then, and then after she gets baptized, what does she do? I just love this. She turns to Paul and to Silas and to the others, and she says, you guys, you're staying with me. Let's go. You're with me now. And there's that little moment at the end where um, it sort of indicates that, uh, that, that, that they had to, she had to, be, she had to uh, ask them, she had to urge them, right? She prevailed upon us, the text says. Right? You can imagine Paul and Silas going like, no, 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 no. And she's like, I insist. I've got the capital. I've got the resources. I've got the space. Like, I'm with Jesus. I'm with you. You're my people. Stay with me. Brothers and sisters, hospitality. One of the clearest indications that we have received and understand the beauty of Christ is how we open up our lives and our homes and our spaces to others. She uses her resources. Rosaria Butterfield in her book, A Gospel Come, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says, Let God use your home, your apartment, your dorm room, your front yard, your community gymnasium or garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Because that is the point. Building the church and living like a family, the family of God. Do you open like Lydia, who just, her first instinct after coming out of the water is, you're staying at my place. She, she's not even from there. She's not from there. She's where, she's Airbnb. I don't know. She's got a place that she's staying at. She's like, you're staying with me now. What a woman. What a savior. And so my hope is that we would show up like Lydia, that we would have our hearts opened by God. And that we would respond by then opening our lives to others around us. God has been good to us. 
All of us who are here are Christians because God has opened our hearts. And our prayer and desire is that God would open all of our hearts. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a great time with Lydia and Paul down by the river. You orchestrated that meeting. You're orchestrating meetings in our lives that we are unaware of. Lord, I pray that we would see all of those with your divine hand upon them. That we would look for opportunities to share our faith. That we would do so, not by just preaching at people, but building friendship and relationship. And then naturally doing what we love to do, which is talk about you. Because of what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that this morning you would open the hearts of your people. There are people who are with us this morning who don't know you. They're closed off. And God, we ask that by your spirit, you would break through. You know them. You know their objections, their frustrations, their difficulties, their sufferings. Would you just speak into those in this service this morning? And would you open them up to yourself? God, we pray for the salvation of those who are in our midst this morning. We pray that our kids would know you. That like Lydia, we would influence those around us. That like Lydia, we would open our homes. We pray that that would all emerge because of what you have done first for us. So I pray we keep our eyes on the gospel and our eyes on what it is that you have done for us. And I pray that you would draw us to yourself this morning. We thank you for Lydia. We thank you for Rahab. We thank you for Esther. We thank you for Ruth. We thank you for these women. And we just thank you for the testimony of their faithfulness, the beauty of what they have done and the ways in which we can all learn how to be more like Jesus by watching who they are and the work you've done in their lives. Draw us to yourself again this morning, Lord, again, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen.